Does father truly know best? What is your definition of fatherhood? Our fatherhood expert, Patrick Patterson, gives us his input about the state of fatherhood today. We'll start with just being present. Join in on the conversation next. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Finkley Show. I'm Michael Finkley. Today is Monday, September 7th, 2020. Brand new week, y'all. Some of us have to work today. Some of us don't. Let's get our rest any way we can. Self-care is important, y'all. Self-care is important. Get it done. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Michael Finkley Show, and ring that bell for notification. You receive an email from us saying, hey, new content is uploaded. Thank you all for viewing today and all of our viewers, subscribers. Thank you so much. Our future viewers, our future subscribers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're telling you shows that you need to hear and you want to hear, and also to, to inform, educate, and inspire you as well. So take a little time out of your day and enjoy The Michael Finkley Show. Did you know that there are 72.2 million fathers out there according to the U.S. Census? Did you know that? It's a lot of fathers. Our guest today says that fatherhood is still important. It's in a state of emergency. It is dire need in this time right now. Patrick Patterson, they call him Mr. Fatherhood. He tells us why this concept is so important to him and the work that he's doing with fathers present day. I'm telling you, it's an interview you don't want to miss. Now, before we get into the interview, I want to share an awesome song. Now, she is my favorite female gospel artist. I tell you, when I was in college, I was introduced to her and I played her songs constantly. My roommate was like, please think we'll play something else. But it's just her spirit, her her ministry. Oh, I saw her in concert last year and I just cried the whole time. She got on stage, she didn't say anything, she just walked. It's just her presence. I'm talking about none other than Miss Cece Winans and she has a new single out today um, called Never Lost, Never Lost. I've been playing it, I've been jamming. It came out on Friday. I have been jamming to this song all weekend long. It's blasted all on my social media. I'm like, I want to tell the good news and tell people about it. So y'all take a look at this new single by this incredible artist, Miss Cece Winans. Take a look. Your voice is calling me out. And right now, I know you're able. And my Don't you go away. We'll be right back. On the next Michael Finkley, Wednesday, we have Mr. Winston Broderick with us as we discuss marketing, networking, and how to maximize working from home remotely. Don't you miss the next Michael Finkley.
to the Michael Hinckley Show. Y'all, we are chatting with a jewel among jewels today, I tell you. Um, he is an Arthur. He is a husband. He is a father. He is an advocate. He's a mentor. Oh, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Mr. Patrick Patterson. Patrick, what's up? 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 Can you hear me now? Can you we hear me hear now? you. Okay, okay. I'm we just checking out my you. new mic. I'm checking out my new mic. Is oh it my working? Gosh, you got one of those too? I did. Is it working? Can you oh, hear me? Oh man, I can hear you. I don't think it's I don't think it's on, Patrick. I don't know. Maybe I can do something. I don't right. think it's on there, bro. But we can hear I, you loud and clear. I just got it. I just got it. I just literally. Got it. Oh yeah. man. Oh man, because I'm I'm sporting mine too. Here is mine and sport mine as well. Uh-huh. And do you turn it on immediately or do you you know, set it up, you cue it up, you just plug it in and play. Just plug it in and play. Huh. Yeah, yeah. But out. I have to get this one, um, this microphone with this new laptop all configured and stuff. So okay. I'm okay. working without it today. Okay. We're good. We're good. <laughs> We're good. Well, I can We're hear good. you. Thank yeah. you, Patrick, for being on. Absolutely. I wouldn't have missed it. I wouldn't have oh. missed it. We appreciate you. Y'all don't understand. Let me break it down just a little bit for you. Because Patrick, I don't know if you realize this, how much of an influence he is in my life. We wow. met a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, ever since then, it's just been a continuous ball of encouragement, yeah. knowledge, wisdom, experience yeah. passed on down. And I just appreciate you. I yeah. really, really do. You know what, man? I think I'm 46. Um, over my life, I've had some amazing brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. but some men who just kind of poured into me. And one of them just challenged me. He would always sit me down when I was at Benedict and just talk me through scenarios. And he said, the only thing I want you to do mm -hmm. as a repayment is talk to another brother. And that was in 1995. And my spirit has always been what you get right now because I grew up in the church. My mama didn't play no games. Uh, we served the Lord. Uh, we served the people. And that was not like I picked that up in college. That's, that's my family. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm armed with information now. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's Boy. important. Yeah, I mean, it's been important to share. My growth has come through my sharing. It's not because I'm smart or I went to college. It's like the more I give, you know the song, the more he gives to me. And that has been a staple of my life. My children understand. I don't have to talk about giving to my kids. They see us. My wife is a giver. Um, so those things, are, to me, um, it's, it's important. You know, I meet random brothers who will find me on social media. And whatever they think about my credentials, they'll want to, man, I'm surprised you picked up the phone. Oh, I'm surprised you responded to my email. And um, I've been on the other end of that email mm -hmm. where you're hoping that the person would respond. So you can't forget. You can't forget. And we South Carolina boys. Right. right. We have a certain humility. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work for us. But for the most part, the people that I've been around from South Carolina have a grounded down home feel. And um, it, it's what serves us well. It's yeah. what serves us well. Yeah, definitely. Yep. yep, sure does. And it's continuously serving us as well. Absolutely. In many areas of our lives. 
And I tell you, they call you, they don't call you Mr. Fatherhood for um, just to put it out there. You're good at what you do, sir. So what is, what is your definition of fatherhood? Um, I, th- I would start with just being present. Yeah. Um, it's really just being present. Uh, my kids mm-hmm. have always said to me when I ask about things they remember about their childhood, it's never about a purchase. It's like, and it's the weirdest things, Michael. It's like, remember when the car broke down and you had to change the tire and it was raining? They remember stuff like that. Um, my oldest, I'll never forget when she was probably four, I've always said to them since they were small, they're 12 and 14 now. Um, when they were small, I said, let mommy and daddy take care of big people stuff. Y'all take care of kitty stuff. And so what that meant to them early on is if any adult ever got out of pocket with y'all, that's not your issue. To this day, you tell me, and I'll never forget my oldest, she's probably four, she was at daycare and this other parent came in and her daughter and my youngest were doing kid stuff, playing around. And the lady told my daughter, she said, you're a bad little girl. And that's not how we talk to our kids. So um, when I picked my kids up, when they were little, I would always put them in the car and say, how was your day? And they usually just talk until they fall asleep. This day, my oldest, she just started crying. And I was like, what happened? Like, what, what? I'm pulling out of the daycare. I'm like, what happened? And she said, um, this lady, I walked past the lady when I went to pick my kids up. She said, this lady called me bad. So illegal as possible, I pulled a Yui in the street. I came back and I walked into the daycare center. The lady, she saw me when I picked the kids up. And I said to her, um, I said, I think our kids were having a disagreement. She, I said, but did you, did you call my daughter bad? And she said, she's a bad girl because she did something. I said, listen, if you ever have an issue with my kids, you speak to me or her, of their mother. I said, but do not ever call my child or any other child bad. Um, I said, and I went through this whole conversation with this lady. I said, call your husband because I don't want to disrespect you. Call your husband because I want both of y'all here when I'm having this conversation. Long story short, um, my kids still remember that situation because I was present. I was protecting them. Um, And I think fatherhood also means that you got their back. So regardless of which direction they go in life, um, I've tried my best, Mike, just to make sure they know whatever they decide to do, college, entrepreneurship, you know, um, not going to college immediately. I got you. I got you. And that to me, a lot of brothers, I think, interpret fatherhood is tied to money. Um, There are some elements where you got to provide. But what I've learned with my own dad, my grandfather, my uncles, my brothers, with all of their children, it's just that presence. You cannot replace that presence. So I would say presence is the word. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you you listen to some awesome qualities present, being there. I got your back. So does that always mean that we always have to look for the father that assisted in giving um, birth to us in that right? Or can we look to a father figure in that right? I think it's both. Um, There is unquestionable the connection between birth parents and children. You can't, that's just God ordained. 
But when the case happens where that's not possible, absolutely. The surrogates, the uncles, the coaches, the ministers, the deacons, all of those folks will suffice. Um, I've got living testimony of people who I met in college when I played high school sports who were father figures who, cause you know, Michael, you're a young man, but my mother would always say, sometimes y'all have to hear from somebody else to believe it. You ever heard that? You know? Yeah, it's still true. And, yeah, <laughs> it is very true. Um, the Bible speaks about it. Um, I've always believed, even as I do business, uh, when I talk to young people who are starting business, you know, familiar things carry little value. And so if your mama has been saying for years, put your raincoat on when it's raining. You don't do it because you just, that's, I hear that voice so much. But then coach says, don't get on this bus without your raincoat. You have on your raincoat. Um, father figures carry the same influence. Um, some of the biggest mentors for a lot of young men, not always been their fathers, been father figures. So they can definitely carry um, that same. You still cannot. I'll just say this last part. Nothing replaces your own parents. Definitely. Nothing replaces that. You got nothing. That. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about your father, Patrick. My father, um, what a man. Uh, my father grew up in Columbia. Uh, he grew up right downtown Reed Street, Height Street. That's right down by Benedict on the on the back side of the school. Yeah. Uh, well, you went to Allen, you know. I sure did. I know where that is. Um, my father was he grew up rough, man. He grew up rough. He's told me some stories when he was a kid of picking up cans down by USC out of the trash can. And as a young boy, um, students spitting on him. He's told me stories of um, being called all kinds of racial slurs by people when he was growing in Columbia. Um, he was born in 1948. So think about the years. Uh, my father also told me about, you know, his father. Uh, my grandfather was an old, old, old school cat. And my father told me a story about my grandfather having him and his brother, you know, whipped, like whipped when they were kids. Like we got whippings, but I mean, they were whipped. And so by the time I was born in 1974, my father had been in and out of prison here and there. When I was born in 74, for whatever reason, he stopped. All of the street running, all the drinking and smoking, he stopped. And I'm not the oldest, I'm the third of four. I'm the third older sister, older brother, younger brother. Um, but when I was born, man, the only thing I knew about him was he worked. Okay. Um, didn't say much. Um, when he said something, he meant it. But went through this process for 15 years. My dad was a constant figure, taught me how to fight ride a bike, play sports. Um, didn't go to church with us, but made sure we went to church. Um, my dad was big on being on time. Like church is Sunday. We'd have to get our stuff ready on Wednesdays. Wow. Just to get to show him, this is what I'm wearing on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You had to iron it and be ready for church on Wednesday for Sunday. That's how serious it was about. Wow. Yeah, didn't play no games. And when I turned 15, my, my dad went through an episode where everything that I knew about him, no drinking, no smoking, no drugs, he relapsed. Um, 
went down and I say down, like is like left the house in the streets, um, like drunk in the streets. Like I'm walking to high school, my junior year of high school. And there's a drunk man that you and your class may see. And it's, it's my father. I'm, I'm 16 and I'm laughing with them, but you know how I felt on the inside. Torn to pieces because the man I knew as a kid, um, was different. And what I know about my dad now, much, many years later, um, he just didn't know how important he was. Nobody ever really told him, man, you're special. And that's kind of how I got into the work that I'm in now. But I will, I will close by saying this, the smartest man I know, um, my father didn't finish eighth grade, but if you needed a wise word, if you needed context for a situation you're going through, he was the guy, he had moments where he'd be drinking and then there were moments when he was sober. And if you caught them sober moments and you say, dad, look, I'm thinking about doing this. He could paint a picture that would just expand your vision of what was possible. But um, the last thing I'll say about him that I think is kind of unforgotten was he was a hard worker. Um, what my brothers and my sister and I cannot say is we don't understand hard work. Because my dad worked three jobs. Those 15 years he was in the house, he worked three jobs. Um, I've been married 23 years. There's not a day in my marriage that I have not worked. I've always, that wasn't given to me. I saw that from my dad. Um, my mother, tremendous lady, and I'll say this thing about her tied to him. As much as my dad and I had a kind of rocky relationship before he passed, the last 10 years of his life, we forgave each other. Um, we said, I'm sorry. Um, he said it first to me and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, I did the best I could. I did the best I could. And if you've been around a man who says I've done the best I could, you've got to give it up, right? You can't, you can't, you can't ask for more than that, but we forgave each other. But my mother, importantly, she never let us hear her say a bad word about my dad. As much as we were, when I was at Benedict, my dad used to come on campus and like find me on campus. When I got my first job, which was around the corner from Benedict, my dad would come to my job. They would say, Patrick, there's a visitor in the lobby and he's, he's asking for you. It, it'd be my dad. My mother helped me to understand he wasn't running from you. He was trying to stay close to you all that time. And so when I think about my father who passed in 2015, um, he, what you see today, what people like about me, my work, the work that I do around fathers, it is inspired by my father. Directly. Directly. Um, yeah. Uh, and I love the way you said forgive. Yeah. Like forgive. That's hard for people, especially when you as the person has been done wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for them is to say, I can't forgive all the feelings, all the hurt, yeah. but you put it aside. And it wasn't continuous forgiveness. It wasn't, you know, hey, I, I feel you forgive you today, but tomorrow I'm going to be mad at you again. But on the yeah. next day, I'll forgive you again. Yeah. It was a, it was a healing process for you. Did you do it for yourself? I, I think we did it for each other. Um, in my twenties, Mike, I was, I was so broken. Um, Thanksgiving was not a fun time for me because it was family time and I felt like we missing somebody. 
um, New Year's, my dad's birthday. When people are having a good time, New Year's Eve, of course we went to church, but New Year's Eve after church, I, I had a, there was something wrong with me, New Year's, Christmas, Father's Day um, were days that were tough. And as I got to college and started meeting people who kind of helped me, because I've, I've always done fatherhood. I've never done, I never worked at AHA. I've always worked with fathers. But I've had people who kind of say to me, I think, you, I think you're a little bit bitter about your situation. And I was open to it. You know, I could not figure out why and what happened to my father. And I got into a lot of situations because I was angry. Um, shouldn't have, but it was anger. But when I got to the point where the forgiveness came in was when I started doing fatherhood work, um, I met men, older men, who just talked about their wrongdoings and how important it was to not take for granted when somebody's on earth. And I wanted to say I'm sorry to him. I really did, because there were some mean things I said. Uh, I never physically tried to harm my dad, was so angry, but never understood how much it was holding me back. And I forgave him without saying it, but we got together one time and he just said, I'm, I'm, he said, I'm sorry. And it was like, he gave me permission at the time to say it to him. And when I tell you, I don't know what I was carrying, but I was lighter after we exchanged. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. So I cannot tell anybody when to do it, but you got to have forgiveness in your heart, man. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That in itself, because you never know. We always look upon the story of um, the female perspective when it comes to daddy issues or what have you. You never hardly look at the male issue and it made me realize that you know i'm not alone in this yeah you no know? um and that's been proven to, from all the work that you i've seen you do with fathers yeah. as well and trying to unite their sons even closer to what they already are um i can go back to in my in my personal life where my father wasn't there completely uh -huh. and my grandfather um was there for me he taught uh -huh. me how to be that that mm -hmm. man, right? That mm -hmm. old fashioned yeah. man, right? Yeah. Um, he was a bishop and he taught me how to love God as well. Yeah. But he was, he passed away before he could really, I was maybe 13, 14 years old, before he could really get into the just of it. Yeah. And I felt over the years, I've been longing for that. That's why I hold on to relationships with um, men that I, that I come in contact with, those strong yeah. men. Yeah. Um, like yourself and many yeah. others that have assisted me along the way. So yeah. uh, I it's, it's real. Yeah. It's a real thing. It's it is a real thing. a real thing. It's a real um, thing. Your work with fathers, mm -hmm. um, you've been doing this for a while, the conferences, mm -hmm. workshops, one-on-ones, mm -hmm. on yeah. <laughs> what have you. Talk about that. Talk about that work, Patrick. Uh, it's tied to my dad, man. I mean, he's at the center of everything. And I'm grateful to say that before he passed, we had this awesome relationship. But what I learned about him is what I wanted to give to other men. My dad did not know he was special. And so I'm intentional when I say to brothers, I'm proud of you. Um, three things that men need, they need appreciation. And they need to, on a regular basis from people that they respect and care for them. They need to have um, 
an audience to demonstrate that they can do. Most guys, if they make a mistake, that audience leaves. You got to give them an opportunity. And the last thing I think that they need more important than anything else, they need, a, they need to have a person that allows them to love them back. A lot of guys never get that chance. Uh, when I think about my journey as a father, I know my words matter. I know my wife, when she says to me, good job, it matters to me. Um, when I meet the average brother and I go into prisons, I've been in prisons all over the place and I meet brothers, I would say, yo, bro, <laughs> I see you. And most guys have never heard that affirmation. They've never heard the words, I'm proud of you. And so although it might not seem like I'm going to ever see him again, you do have an opportunity to make an indent, you know, in his psyche. But that has been my motivation is to bring life and light to brothers. There's so many lonely, lonely, lonely brothers out here, all races. And if you think about the brothers that are married, you know, I do a lot of stuff with married fathers. There's some lonely brothers because they haven't heard the affirmation or the appreciation of, I know you're working hard, baby. Thank you. Those two words. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, I'm no, you know, prophet when it comes to that, but I know personally what it does to me. When my wife said, we, we took our daughters to get braces yesterday. Two kids got braces in one day. I wrote a check. You know, I did my job. And my wife last night when we got home, she said, she said, thank you. Thank you for taking care. Man, I was ready to go write some more, I, you know. <laughs> it filled my tank up. It refilled my tank. And so that's what inspires my work with fathers. Um, I got into the boy space because I was a poor student. When I finished high school, I had a 1.3 GPA. So I know those kids still need to be encouraged. You can. You can. You can. You got this. You don't have to do what you saw him do. You got your own gift. And when I talk to young brothers, my job, your job, our jobs are to just breathe those moments of life in them. They might get older, but they won't forget, you know. So saying I love you is another thing. Those are things that I know a lot of brothers do not get. Yeah. They do not get. And so my journey has been filled with grace from my experience of my father and opportunity. And so I just know, man, um, when I leave here, Mike, there will not be an unfinished conference or an unfinished book. Uh, while I have time, I'm going to give it my all, bro. I'm going to give it my unashamedly, unashamedly. So that's the inspiration for my work with, with fathers. And I got daughters. So that's, that's a whole nother chapter. And talk about your girls. Yeah. Talk about your girls. And I didn't realize they were getting so big. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, they are amazing gifts. Um, my wife and I were pregnant in 2003. Mm -hmm. We had a miscarriage. And it was, it wasn't like the book said, you get pregnant, you get married, you get pregnant, you have a baby. That's what the book said. And we had a miscarriage. And I'll never forget we were, by that time, Peyton was born. We have been married for eight years with no kids. We've been trying all eight years. And so we started thinking we were going to be, you know, Uncle Phil, you know, uh, from Fresh Prince. 
the rich uncle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Sharani, this is a blessing story. Sharani, we were living in Delaware. Sharani wasn't working and she was looking for a job, looking for a job, looking for a job. You know, the people were calling saying, we're coming to get that cell phone. We're coming to get that truck. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't, the money wasn't adding up. And this is how blessing, how much of a blessing, you know, God has put in our lives. My wife found an interview. She went to a job. And as she, I was working in Philadelphia. As she was doing her enrollment things, they said, we need to give you a flu shot. It was a hospital. And they said, before we give you a flu shot, we got to give you a pregnancy test. And she said, I'm not pregnant. We've been waiting for eight years. Just give me a flu shot. The lady said, ma'am, we want to give you this pregnancy test first. And Sharani, being obedient, she said, whatever. I'm just glad I got a job. She took the pregnancy test, Mike. The day she signed her papers after being out of work for almost two years, the lady comes back. She said, ma'am, um, congratulations. She said, you're pregnant. I was, right, she did that. She, I was in Philadelphia. My wife called me. She said, Patrick, she said, you need to get back off the train and come home. I said, I just got to, I just got in town. She said, Patrick, I'm pregnant. I said, listen, I've got a meeting this morning. I don't have time for games. Um, what's up? She said, Patrick Patterson, I am pregnant. And when she put those two words together, yeah, you know, it's a different, I got back and we just cried because in one day she got a job. And the same day, our prayer was answered around. So those two kids, when I tell you that God, only God could have made it happen, are special to us. Peyton is 14. She's a 10th grader. She's a singer, um, cries easily, but has a huge heart. She's, she is Shirani's twin. Um, <laughs> my youngest has my attributes. Um, all my life I played sports. And so I, I meet people and I can talk. Um, my youngest can walk in any room and she'll figure out a way to connect with you. And so those two kids have made us better people. Um, they've been great. Every, t- every phase people will say they're going to be terrible twos. They're going to be bad preteens. They're normal kids, but we're blessed. We're blessed. They love to work when we're doing conferences or events. <laughs> they love being a part of serving people. And if I could leave them with anything, Mike, it's that you're going to be blessed forever if you're helping people. So love them. Straight A students, um, love them, love them, love them. Love this. I love it. Yeah. Oh, man. So, Patrick, when we come back, we're going to talk about the state of fatherhood today and the events that are happening in today's world. We're we're right back. Coming up, how can fatherhood assist in saving the world? Answers to come. We'll be right back. The Finkley Experience is an education and consulting firm that specializes in first-generation education. We assist parents and their students with the college process. We train school administrators, and we also partner with colleges and universities to assist with their first-generation population. To learn more about our consulting firm and to purchase our book and workbook, please visit our website at thefinkleyexperience.com.
Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Michael Finkler Show. We're still chatting with Mr. Fatherhood himself, Patrick Patterson. And I tell you, so much is going on in the world today, Patrick, as, you, as we know, dealing from politics to um, a pandemic to injustice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a lot. So what would you say is the state of fatherhood today in this present time? How would you define that? I, I would say it's probably more important now than it has been ever, um, particularly in this last 20, 30 years. Um, most of the kids and families still need to know that they are safe. And you can talk about a lot of things, but I know when my dad used to lock the door when he lived with us, when he locked the door at night, I went to sleep because I felt safe. So the state of fatherhood is still important. I would say across the a spectrum with brothers, um, there's so many things that make my heart hurt, man. When I look at, like I have not watched all the videos of the gentlemen, God bless them, that have been murdered by police officers. I, 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 it's traumatic. I see my face. I see my brothers, you know, faces. And so I've had people ask me over and over again, have you watched these? Like I heard about it, but I cannot watch these videos. It's too much, which speaks to why brothers behave the way they do sometimes. Because in life, most brothers, and this is generic brothers, all races, are socialized to internalize. We're not made to be emotional and verbal. And that's an issue because I've talked into, I walked into conversation with brothers before where they have been overloaded with issues from 10 to 15 years back. Today, um, we need a safe space. Brothers need to have conversations like this about what we're feeling. Um, I cried at the Michael Floyd video, you know? Could not watch the whole thing. It's just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And so I think today, fatherhood, is more important than ever. And I also think mental health for fathers is as important as it needs to be today. There are a lot of broken men who've had traumatic issues for years. And I think we have an opportunity, Mike. We got a real opportunity, a real opportunity. Definitely. Um, You said the conversations need to happen. Why is that? Why is that so hard? Why is that so so hard, period? I think these conversations. For men, I think it's the way that we've been socialized. Um, For years, if you think back to your grandfather and my grandfather, um, these guys were brought up in an age where it was considered weak if you cried or you had emotion. Um, I've been, as a young man, at funerals with my family, and the men line up and people walk through the line and say to them, hey, be strong for your mom or be tough, you know. Meanwhile, there's a section of the church or if you're in the fellowship hall where they're just allowing the women and mothers to cry. Um, Crying is a good, it's a healthy emotion. And so for a lot of brothers, and I'm not afraid to say, man, I have cried more these last 14 years with my oldest daughter in joy, you know, in like moments of joy. Um, you probably know we had COVID hit my family. I remember in the middle of our experience with COVID, I remember going upstairs to the bedroom. My wife was downstairs. I remember 
feeling like something was choking me. And I could not figure out what was choking me. Um, and it's still like, struggle, I struggle to talk about it sometimes, but I went into my closet and I cried. I just, I was like, Lord, bless my wife, make this better. I was sick as well, but it was like, after I had that cry, I was no longer being choked. And that's real for a lot of brothers. But the other thing that happened that's crazy, Mike, my mother knew we were sick. And in the middle of me going to my closet, it's probably three o'clock in the morning. My mother never calls me that time of day. I'm in my closet crying. My wife is downstairs. She's not well. My kids are in their own rooms. And I'm just like, I just started crying. And out of the blue at 3 a.m. in the morning, my mother calls me. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, uh, she said, you crying, ain't it? She said, I knew you needed me. And she literally grabbed my hand through the phone, man. She prayed one of those prayers that I told you I felt like I was being choked earlier. But I found my help when I cried but also just to feel like you had somebody who had your back. And I can't say enough about my mother because throughout my life, there have been moments when I was a boy, when I was a teen in college, where I just thought this ain't gonna work out. And she's always been there, always been there. But the conversations are tough for brothers just because of what we've been told about how we should behave, but it's a new day. It's a new day. It's definitely a new day. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And so how, if people didn't already know this about you, Patrick, yeah. um, this dude knows something about grant writing as well. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. how have you combined the two in assisting with the overall cause um, for your passion in life? Um, when I started doing grants in 1997, 98, there were... Um, I was doing fatherhood work as well, but there were no funders for fatherhood work. And so I had to figure out how do I find funding for the work that I was doing? And so I've learned if you don't ask, you don't get. This is true. And so that's simple. Um, I started figuring out, you know, oh, grants is a way, not the only way for your, for your listeners. It's a way to find funding for your programming work. And little by little, I was just kind of pass fail attempting to write grants. Um, I believe if you want to return, you got to invest. I started taking trainings. Mm -hmm. uh, was not a good writer in high school, was okay writer in college, um, took writing classes. Um, I went to Toastmasters. I don't know if you ever heard of Toastmasters, but I went to Toastmasters when I was in college. Um, I ended up getting an internship at DHEC um, off of Bull Street. It's a different development now. But I had some people around me that were writing grants. And I was like, this is kind of cool. So you've got a million dollars for, you wrote this and you gave you a million dollars. And so my mind went into full speed. But 20 years later, um, it's become a passion of mine. I've done $55 million in grants the last 20 years. Churches, nonprofits, organizations, governments. But it's a passion of mine. One of the things I enjoy the most, just before we got on the phone, is to get a call from a person who just started 
their passion project. I want to help kids who have a disability. I want to start a homeless shelter, but I don't know where to go. Um, as I said at the top of the hour, you know, serving is what we do. And so I love that first call. I love translating it for them. I love when they finally call me back and say, Patrick, we got our first grant. You know, that to me is the most gratifying thing that I get in the grant process. But that's where it started. That's where it started. I've done it in D.C., all over the place. But um, it's a great way to kind of fund your passion. That's what it is. We're still learning that, too. We're yep. definitely still learning that. Yeah. Uh, do some awesome workshops as well. I that's how we actually met. I met I met you at your workshop and, um, in Columbia. I'm telling you, you gave some awesome pointers, advice, and we're still just piecing off that to this day. So thank you. Kudos. Brother. Thank you, brother. Kudos. Thank Definitely. you. Fear, yes, fear. I would say this too, Mike. You know, for your listeners, um, for a lot of years, man, I was afraid to do some stuff. You know, the conference that you've come to several years. I was planning that conference for 10 years in my head. Wow. But was scared to do it because I thought nobody would come. I thought, oh, well, there may be another event that same day. You know how you kind of talk yourself out of stuff? Um, I was like, I, I don't know. And I'll never forget another thing from my father. Uh, when he got pretty sick, I kept saying to him, I want to do this conference. He's new for 10 years. But I said, I got to do this conference, but I'm not ready. And he said, listen. He says, you've been ready, which was like giving me permission to, he says, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be fine. I planned it, Mike, for a hundred people the first year. And we had 654 people that came from 13 different states. So wow. fear, fear, I'm telling you, man, fear, um, I'm, I'm free. I can't explain to people what I mean when I say I'm free. I don't have, my fear is now my faith. I don't live in a space where, what if they don't fund us? I think, what if they do fund us? What if, what if we do get the sponsorship? Uh, yes, sir. It's a different mindset. And I think for a lot of people, when it comes to business and entrepreneurship, writing grants, doing your passion projects, applying for the job, applying for mortgage, most of it starts with your mindset. If you can understand that you can, you will. That is, it's that simple. But a lot of us for years have been sold, you can't. You're from Barnwell, you can't do that. You're from Abbeville. You, that, that's just, the, that's what's sold. And my tape player is different now. My tape player says I can, and I will. Um, so it's, it's really important for people to understand that fear is natural. I get nervous before I speak every time, but I walk through the process of how do you deliver the best Patrick as possible? And, you know. Yeah, I thought I was the only one. Because <laughs> we were like, you do it so smoothly, you do. I'm like, every time, yeah. even if it's something like this, yeah. that nervousness comes first. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you want to give the best. Like you said, you want to give the best. You want to, you want that person to feel comfortable to be, yeah. you know, be able to share what they need to share, what have you. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yay. oh thank yeah. you again. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do with your nerves, Mike, when you're nervous? What do you do? You know what? I acknowledge them. 
Mm-hmm. That's number one. And then I just do it. Mm-hmm. I just do it. Yeah. Even in the midst of me doing it, they're mm-hmm. still there. But yeah. as I get more comfortable, they disappear. Yeah. They disappear. And yeah. I always say to myself too now that I thank God for those nerves because, you know, that shows that I'm still, first of all, I'm still human. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, it, it humbles me. Mm-hmm. It really does humble me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Yeah, same here. I feel like if I ever get to a place where I don't get nervous, I should probably stop. If something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, Patrick, what advice would you give to our our fathers that are raising their children, their sons, their daughters? They may be married. They may be a single parent. Mm -hmm. In this day and age, what would you give? What would you tell them? Um, Kids spell love. T-I-M-E. That's how they spell love. It's not money. It's not, you know, trips. Those things are good. I'm not going to knock those things because we do them with our kids. But it's time. It is time. The second thing I would say is lessons. Um, I think I've, I've always wondered, am I telling my kids too much about my childhood? Because they could always say, well, you, you did it at 13, but I like to be as transparent with my kids as possible. Um, Cause I really don't want them to make the same mistake. I don't want them graduating high school to 1.3 GPA. I really, they won't, but I'm, I'm always transparent. So I think teaching is really important. I think the last thing is for the fathers, you know, I heard you say fathers um, is really whether you're with the mom or not, you know, showing respect for her. Um, kids are watching, man, at all ages, at all times, they're watching. And I think it's not just respect in terms of physical violence, but it's also verbal. Um, so I, I do a lot of work with dads and I explain to them something my father taught me. He said in relationships from a male perspective, compromise is key. And the second thing is in your marriage, and he told me this specifically, He said, in your marriage, you can choose to either be right or happy every day. If you choose to be right, you're probably going to end up wrong. If you choose to be happy, you appreciate the art of compromise. And as a young man, I've been married 23 years. I was like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard, you know. Um, But years later, my wife will come in here and she'll say, I want to put a picture up. I'm like, "I'm, I'm just doing Zoom calls. I don't need a picture behind me. That's my thought. That would have made me right. But what makes me happy? Her being happy. So Mike, here, here's your gift from Sharani is a picture on the wall. It, it is, that could have been World War III. Right, right. If I had decided to be right or wrong, but it's like, in the grand scheme of things, I think it actually improves the look on it does. this. <laughs> it does. Now, I, I need one. <laughs> you need what? The, sure the wife or the one. picture? Which one did you talk about? Picture. Okay. okay. Right now, picture. <laughs> yeah. Let's start there first, okay? Yeah. Start there first, okay? Picture first. Picture first, okay? Picture. <laughs> but time, man, I think that's, that's and fun, man. I, I think, you know, for parents, COVID is, has either helped people to understand who they are and who, or who they're not. And I think in this day and time, 
it's tough on parents, man. I'm glad my kids are older. I have friends who have little ones and they're trying to work and feed a baby. Give yourself a break. Yeah. Give yeah. yourself permission. You don't, you can't, it's not the same. Life is not the same. So give yourself permission to close your laptop and just go downstairs and watch Barney with the kids. Give yourself permission. Like I, it's funny because a friend of mine last week, he said to me, we didn't go school shopping. We, we didn't at first. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. We get to save some money. And he said to me, him and his kid had just left going school shopping. And I said, why you do that? He said, well, it's not her fault that COVID's here. And most kids get excited about school shopping. He said, so you want to try to make it as normal as possible. He said, so I'm not telling you what to do, but I don't want to punish my daughter because of COVID. You know, they, they still want new shoes and new shirt, you know, earrings. And I say, you know what? Thank you. Because I selfishly was looking at it like, wow, we're going to be able to put some money in the bank. And I thought to myself, it's not their fault. Right. It's not their fault. And they should get excited about like we normally do going back to school. So we got in the car Saturday. We went shopping and the surprise on their face was the surprise you normally get for going back to school. I love it. But for parents, give yourself permission to be human. It's not the same as what it has been. So take time for yourself. Self-care is the best care. It's really important to make sure you're taking care of yourself. That's it's tough right now, Mike, for a lot of people. It's really tough, but I think giving people permission to say it's it's different now. It's different now. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Just okay. It's okay. Okay. It's okay. Do your best. Yeah. That's, that's best. all we can do, Patrick. Do your best. That's all we do can your best. do. Do your best. <laughs> Big time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How how can the viewers find you on social media, Patrick? Um, Facebook, Patrick Patterson. You'll probably see my face. On Instagram and Twitter, it's the same address, Patrick Pat with one T803. And I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me at Patrick Patterson there as well. And then our website is globalpartnersff.com, globalpartnersff.com. Uh, October 10th, if I can share this one thing. Mike. Yeah, please. October 10th, you spoke about grants earlier. Um, October 10th, we just got a grant for a group. I said 40, it's almost $50,000 in Charlotte. Um, so many people. Thanks responded to it and i've been planning a, a training a virtual grant writing training for the fall i just didn't know exactly when and my wife who is my everything she's my business manager my business partner um she planned it for october 10th it's a saturday from 9 to 11 30 we'll be doing uh our fall grant writing training virtually um on zoom and so if you follow me on any of those platforms, you'll start seeing in the next couple of days, the link um, for early bird registration. But I'm just grateful for you, Mike. Um, I watch you, man. I'm grateful. I remember when I met you and I look at you now, you've grown tremendously. Um, I see the fear and the faith. They switch places. Um, yeah. You're not afraid to explore. And I will tell you, you have a gift, man. You have a gift. This was easy you know, to do for me, you know, you have so many gifts, but as I watch you, I don't think you understand what you have as a gift yet. It's going to take you places that you will be surprised 
when you end up in those places. But I will tell you, continue to build who you are and then build a team around you. Um, because so many of us, brothers, professionals, entrepreneurs, think that you got to row the boat by yourself. And it'll get you going, but you're going to slow down because you're going to get tired. Um, just remember that you can't do it by yourself. Get a team of people who you can trust, who are smarter than you, and who can actually kind of push you forward. Um, but I'm, I'm just so inspired by you. And just want to say I love you and I appreciate everything you're doing, man. So when I got the call to be on the show, I went and bought a mic. I said, you know, I got, I got, I can't come on here half cocked. So <laughs> hopefully, uh, I will get a chance to um, just continue to witness your growth, brother. I think you're amazing, man. I think you're amazing. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, and I love you too, brother. Appreciate it, brother. Easy. Easy. On the next Michael Finkley Friday, we reflect on the event that happened 19 years ago, 9-11, those who lost their lives, and also the survivors of 9-11. We chat with Mariama James and Lieutenant Clarence Singleton as they tell their stories of survival. Don't you dare miss the next Michael Finkley. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Michael Finkley Show. Did you enjoy today's show? I hope you, you learned something from it. This show was to definitely inform you of what fatherhood looks like in present day today. Um, comment below. Tell me what you got from it and let's get the conversation going. Patrick, thank you so much for being on. You really opened the door for me to have a closer look at what my own relationship looks like with my biological father. Um, it's something that is continuous. Um, I had my grandfather with me as well before he passed away and um, I have a great stepfather and all the mentors that have stepped in and, and you know fill in the gap along the years so I definitely appreciate them as well. Thank you Patrick for just allowing me to reminisce and just to think upon that as well. Thank you so much. On Wednesday's show we have Mr. Winston Brockton with us and he's going to discuss networking, marketing, and how we can truly capitalize on working remotely from home. It's a show you don't want to miss. If you have already, I'm not already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel with The Michael Finkley Show. Ring that bell for notification and we will send you an email saying content is uploaded. If you'd love to be a guest on The Michael Finkley Show, please email us at michaelatthefinkleyexperience.com. Thank you so much, so, so much for watching, and we'll see you Wednesday. Have a good one. <laughs>